Welcome to the City Life Lansing podcast. You are loved, you belong, and you have a unique purpose from God. You can connect with us at citylifelansing.com. You belong here. Here's today's message. Leave a legacy, focus my life on eternity I'm just a dash on a tombstone, don't remember me When I die, you'll say, Jesus is my everything Well, I'll say it again, boy, Jesus is my everything Purpose of my life, I worship Him just to give glory I'm just a page of a chapter up in His story Hey, yo, you know what I mean? If you feel the same way, then let's rep the King Leave a legacy Focus my life on eternity I'm just a dash on a tombstone Don't remember me When I die, you'll say Jesus is my everything I say it again, boy Jesus is my everything Purpose of my life I worship Him just to give glory I'm just a page of a chapter up in His story Hey, yo, you know what I mean? If you feel the same way Then let's rep the King Leave a legacy Thank you, Modesto, for that video. Very powerful. Uh, good morning, everybody. Nice to see you all. Three minutes almost to afternoon, so early good afternoon. We are kicking off a new series today called Legacy. And the impact of legacy is about being past our own lifetime, but what would we leave behind forever? And what we're going to start off by doing is a little exercise. An exercise that is very sobering, but Stephen Covey's been coined to create, but can be very transformative. So join me in closing your eyes for a moment and envision you're going to a funeral. For many of us, this is already hard. And you enter the room and you look around. You're carrying a level of just unknown and you, you're seeing the faces and wondering how are people responding and, and then you're listening to what's being said and, and there's tears and there's song. There's God's word being shared. You can open your eyes. And the exercise continues in this way, that you didn't go to someone else's funeral, but that was your own. And then that you would live with the end in mind in such a way that you would write down what would we want people to say? What would we want people to feel? What is the mark we would want to leave past our own lifetime? 
And let's be real. For some of us, we know like, man, I don't know. <laughs> I'm at church because I'm not sure if there would be a good mark. I'm not sure what people would say. I'm not sure if I've left the right imprint in people's lives. Well, you're in a good place. God can take all of our mistakes, meet them with his supernatural, powerful grace, and transform us and make our lives count, not for a lifetime, but forever. So the greatest yes we could ever say is first to Jesus. And when we say yes to Jesus, we're in forever. But we're also making a statement behind us. We're leaving like a trail, a place of clues that he matters. I'm just a dash. No, it's God's glory. You know, the holidays, they have a way to make us think about what we have or what we don't have, right? What we got to do or what we uh, don't want to do. Who we have to see or who we don't want to see. Who is there, but who also isn't there. If you have family or if you don't, or if there's ones in the family that are gone. And we kind of go through these rituals and we remember, yeah, 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 Jesus lives. That's the reason for the season. But also I got to uh, bring a cake or I've got to bring a gift and I got to show up to this. And I, it's just a lot of pressure that I think a lot of us face. The reason we've stamped legacy right now is because we've all done Christmas many years. Good ones, maybe bad ones. And we're going to do a Christmas again, Lord willing, but with this intentionality that we put on the holidays, what if we put on a generational impact? Five, 10, 15, 20 years to live today like the last, but prepare for forever. And we need some role models, some examples to say, what does it look like to live a legacy? Well, let me start off by saying this. Holiness, doing the right thing, is so underrated. Parents in the room, you don't want your kids to have some crazy testimony filled with rap sheet and all these crazy stories. You want them to have one of sacredness. That's why today we're going to do, uh, we're going to read part, parts of the story of Joseph and it's titled this, It Is Possible. Look at Joseph. It's possible. Look at Joseph. Look at Joseph. His story is going to be one of faithfulness and, and break barriers and boundaries and ones that we couldn't even think because I'm, I, I, I would dare venture most of us would never respond the way. I, I'll just speak for myself. I think every way he responded, I would probably respond opposite. He is such a great example. Now, if you've ever heard of the name Roger Bannister, he is known for breaking the first four-minute mile marker, like barrier. It was previously reported that you could not run a four-minute mile. It was impossible. Like scientists, it's impossible. Your body can't do it. You'll die, kid. That's what they thought. And then homie goes out of his way and he breaks it. You know, Arnold Schwarzenegger, he has this famous uh, little like, quote he said. something to the, He's like, I love when people tell me something's impossible because if, it, if it's impossible to them, I just go do it. And then I say, look at what I did, you know, in the Arnold voice. I just don't have it or I do it, you know. And, 
And if you know Arnold's life, he is one that has broke some barriers, right? He's not our godly example. Jesus is, right? We have some great godly examples in the scriptures. We have a, uh, one of the things I love about the Bible is it shows the humanity, uh, the, the, the weaknesses of humanity. So it'll show the frailty time and time again in all of the text. Because the point is that we aren't the savior, Jesus is. We're broken and perfect people. But in the text, there's a few supernatural Jedis that are some four minute mile breakers for us and Joseph's one of them. And so once Roger Bannister broke it, it was just 46 days later. Think of this, thousands of years, no one's running a four minute mile. One person breaks it, 46 days later, his rival does. And now, thousand have run under a four-minute mile. How? They believed it was possible. You can leave a legacy, believe it's possible. God wants to use you, believe it's possible. You don't have to be perfect. God works through imperfection. In fact, being vulnerable and admitting where our weaknesses is and telling people I'm sorry is part of the equation. You know, my story is not one of Joseph's. It's a lot of mistakes. A lot of, uh, hey, I wouldn't do that the same. But over the last 20 years of being with Jesus, there's been a lot of I'm sorry's. But there's been great opportunities where there was mistakes to now create a new legacy in the midst to go forward. Let's look at Romans 11 before we go to Joseph. Romans 11, verse 2 through 5 is such a cool picture because we think sometimes that, well, everyone's doing it. Like, everybody's failing. Like, I can too. Come on. I, everyone. You know, my kids told us recently, they said this, everyone's got a cell phone, Dad. They're all checking at school. I said, dude, what did I do? What did I say? I'm not everyone's dad. <laughs> I don't care what everybody's doing, you know? I was like, okay, that's, you start saying things in ways that, you know, your teachers and parents said, and you're like, okay, I can't say it that way. It's not going to work. So what I meant to say was, I think it'd be really helpful. They're like, yeah, dad, but if I got to reach you for an emergency, I said, look, it's worked for thousands of years without it. Like, we're going to be good, kid. And like, there's an office down there, you know, and yeah, you know, and it's a sensitive time in schools, right? There's been some tragic things and we got to lift that stuff up in prayer and be strategic. But by all means, I don't know if I need my nine-year-old having a cell phone at, you know, lunch, you know? Right? So it's, a, it's like that tension. The point is, if everybody's doing it, do I? If everybody's sinning, should I? Right? Because when you're alone by yourself, you could feel like you're the only one, but you're not. Look at this passage. Verse 2, it says, God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. And don't you know what the scripture says in the passage about Elijah? How he pleads with God against Israel. Lord, they have killed your prophets and torn down your altars. He's telling to God. Elijah's like, do you know? Do you know what they're doing, God? Anyone ever pray like this? Do you know what's happening to me, God? Do you see it? We all pray this. I am the only one left. What a bold statement. And they are trying to take my life now. So in other words, he's saying, hey, I am choosing holiness, God. I'm doing your will. I'm trying to be a light. I'm trying to love people. 
I'm trying to do the right thing. I want to see heaven in Lansing. I want to see heaven in the 517. I want to see heaven in the world. Man, God, I want to see change. I feel like I'm the only one. Anybody else ever prayed like that? You ever felt like you're the only one? Oh, am I the only one? Come on. Anyway, yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel like, I feel like I'm the only one sometimes. Here's what God said to him. I have left 7,000 for myself who have not bowed to Baal. So you feel alone? Cool. You think you're the only one doing this? No, 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 don't, don't get it twisted. It's my mission, and I preserved 7,000 people that won't bow to the God of this world. They are holy. And it goes on in the same way then. There is also at the present time a remnant chosen by grace. And the coolest thing is just thinking through God's legacy that he's leaving. Well, he's given us Jesus. He's given us the Holy Spirit, you know. But he's also preserved people. This is how we're following Jesus in a continent across the world with followers that have never met each other, but God has reached either through dreams and preaching and teaching, and and he has populated this mission, and he's the one pushing it forward, and we don't need many. We just need to be faithful and constantly point to the one where our help comes from. Remnant means this. It's, it's like, imagine a war. And a war takes place and it's been conquered by a certain people. And then only left in that region is a handful of people from the previous regime or the previous nation. And so they're a remnant of what was. What God's saying is, hey, it may look like there's a little, but I've chosen them by grace In fact, I got thousands all across the world. Don't ever think you're alone. Don't ever feel like it's just you. I got this thing figured out. (sighs) That's just like, that's just like banging on him in the paint. It's a basketball term when like Shaq is in the paint. He's just like, bang. You know what I mean? Like God's like, dude, don't ever think it's just you, Jerome. Don't ever think that I don't got this thing figured out. And let's go back to the Old Testament. Let's look at Joseph. One of the coolest moments of somebody who's lived holy. His story uh, picks up in Genesis 37. We're going to read a couple chapters. So you're going to hit your Bible quota for the whole, maybe the whole uh, year for some of us. And so at the very least, you might as well just sit through the class for a second and be like, dude, yeah. Yeah, verse of the day is good for, I think he read a thousand verses, so I'm good for three years. You know? All right, Genesis 37, verse 1. The story does all the heavy lifting. That's just why we're going to read it. Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan. These are the family records of Jacob. At 17 years of age, Joseph tended sheep with his brothers. Just tending sheep, not a high-profile profession. The young man was working with the sons of Bilhah and Zilphah, his father's wives. He had brought a bad report about them to their father. Now Israel loved Joseph more than his other sons because Joseph was a son born to him in his old age. And he made a long-sleeved robe for him. If you're familiar with the play, Joseph in the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. Yeah. That's a, I love that one. I've seen that a few times. It's only one of the only plays I've seen. 
Uh, there's a song, it goes, close every door to me. Yeah, it's a good one. Uh, Donny Osmond. And then, and then the, at the end, it's like, go, 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 Joseph, you know what they say. And all the sound. It's like, you know, it's really good. It's actually one of my favorites. Because when you see things as a kid, they're better and bigger than they were. Um, but this is where he made him a long sleeve robe for him. Verse 4, when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers. Okay. Parents, kids, let's be real. Your parents, they got a favorite. <laughs> and it's for different reasons. Joseph was loved the most. And his brothers, they hated him and could not bring themselves to speak peaceably to him. Now, what we tell our kids is, you're all our favorite. They are. But there is different reasons. And if you, the 10 a.m., they were all shouting out, why? You know, Giselle was like, I'm the baby girl. That's why. And Neil's like, no, because I'm the youngest. And Jerome's like, I got his name. And Joseph's like, I got his initials, right? And Kingston's like, I'm the king of love, you know? And, uh, and that's for real. Like, that's what we tell them, you know? Because they all are our favorite in different reasons. And we're not going to send them all to do the same thing. And Joseph has a different mission. His dad recognizes that and uh, has an affinity there. But his brothers get jealous. And you know, if you aren't the favorite one, come on, somebody, amen. Yeah, come on, don't act like. I do counseling session with many of you. Come on. <laughs> I just, they always loved the other one better, you know. And uh, look at verse 5, though. Joseph had a dream. And when he had told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. There we were, binding sheaves of grain in the field. Suddenly my sheaf stood up and your sheaves gathered all around it and you bowed to my sheaf. Are you really going to reign over us, his brothers asked him? Are you really going to rule us? So they hated him even more because of his dream and what he had said. Then he had another dream and told it to his brothers. Look, he said, I had another dream. And this time the sun, moon, and 11 stars were bowing down to me. Now God does speak through dreams. How do we know if it's a God dream or not? We can test it, call up somebody we know, read scripture, get counsel. And, but most dreams aren't, you know, God dreams. But in Joseph's case, he has a gift God speaks to him through dreams, and he can interpret dreams. Later, we'll see. And then his father and his brothers, they heard this, and his father rebuked him. and said, what kind of dream is this that you have had? Am I and your mother and your brothers really going to come and bow to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. So in a weird way, his dad's curious still. Maybe he's onto something. And what ultimately this is, is a type pointing towards Jesus that all of God's kids would bow before him. We would kneel before the true Savior. And Joseph is going to be able to save God's people from some trying times, but very, through a very trying way. He's going through trying times himself. It continues, verse 12, his brothers had gone to the pasture and the father's flock at Shechem. Israel said to Joseph, your brothers, you know, are pasturing the flocks at Shechem. Get ready, I'm sending you to them. I'm ready, Joseph replied. Then Israel said to him, go and see how your brothers and the flocks are doing and bring word back to me. 
So he sent him from the Hebron Valley and he went out to Shechem. A man found him there wandering in the field and asked him, what are you looking for? I'm looking for my brothers, Joseph said. Can you tell me where they are pasturing their flocks? They've moved on from here, the man said. I heard them say, let's go to Dothan. So Joseph set out after his brothers and he found them at Dothan. And Joseph is just trying to get with his bros. Verse 18, then they saw him in the distance. This language is very uh, close to how the father sees the prodigal son in a distance. When the father sees the prodigal son in a distance, he goes and he grabs him and puts a robe on him and, you know, and like, let's get the fatted calf. And he, he embraces him. And he loves him. But the brothers are much like our sin nature here. They see him and they decide to plot to kill him. In verse 19, they said to one another, oh, look, here comes that dream expert. You know, it's like sin loves to, misery loves company. If you ever noticed that. I think we've all known when we've kind of went with the crowd, it hasn't ended well, has it? Nah. But in our hearts, we knew, you know what? Something ain't right. And Reuben's going to be that. He, um, so now, come on, let's kill him and throw him into the pits. We can say that a vicious animal ate him. They're already plotting and, and then trying to do the cover-up. Then we'll see what becomes of his dreams. I don't know about you, but if you've learned how to lie pretty well at a young age to try to cover up, and lying is just a, a way of life, it, it, it gets hard to get that shadow out of you. You know, I, is there, I remember getting in trouble and I just being prolific. I'd be like, no, this is what happened, you know? And it, it's just not healthy. It's not holy and not enough examples to say how awesome holiness is. A lot of times we feel like holiness is heavy, but holiness is light. We're giving up our sin. And we're putting on the righteousness of Christ, and this is beautiful. Verse 21, it continues. When Reuben heard this, he tried to save him from them. He said, let's not take his life. Reuben also had said to them, don't shed blood. Throw him into this pit in the wilderness, but don't lay a hand on him. So Reuben's got this better plan that maybe they're just going to leave him to die or maybe somebody will find him, intending to rescue him from them and return him to his father. When Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped off Joseph's robe, the long-sleeved robe they had on. Then they took him and threw him into the pit. The pit was empty without water. They sat down to eat a meal. And when they looked up, there was a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. Their camels were carrying aromatic gum, balsam, and resin going down to Egypt. Judah said to his brother, what do we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come on, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay a hand on him. For he is our brother, our own flesh. And his brothers agreed. When Midianite traders passed by. His brothers pulled Joseph out of the pit and sold him for 20 pieces of silver to the Ishmaelites. This is where, like, you know, Judas betraying Jesus for just silver and money. You see us and our sin betraying. Uh, this is the, 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 the Bible's all one story about Jesus. It's the gospel. And he, God's using these things to point us to Jesus. And Joseph is a type that shows us God's faithfulness. And it is so powerful. It's possible. Look to Joseph. And why do we say look to Joseph? 
Today, I'm saying that because it's ultimately always looked to Jesus. But sometimes we can say, I get it. Jesus, he's perfect. Dude, he's God, man. I'm not. Of course he didn't sin. He's the Savior. But the scripture does say he knew temptation. He struggled and he had, uh, he sympathizes with our weakness because he became like us. So he understands us in every way, shape, or form, but he did not respond like us. He lived flawless. He lived a life we couldn't, and he died the death we should have. But how cool is it, too, that we have some examples that we can look to, like Joseph, to say, you know what? It's possible. I can get back up. So they go on. They returned to the pit, and uh, Reuben did, and he saw Joseph was not there. He tore his clothes. You know, Reuben's sad. He's trying to do the right thing. He went back to his brother and said, the boy is gone. What am I going to do? You know, they, so they took Joseph's robe. They slaughtered. This is where the cover-up happens. They slaughtered a male goat. They dipped in blood. Um, you know, they go to their father. They examine this robe. His father recognized it. It's his son's robe. Now the father has to think his son's dead instead of the, the, the kid's you know, sold Joseph off to live in slavery. Uh, a vicious animal has devoured him. Joseph, been, you know, has been torn to pieces. They just, they doubled down on the lie. Then Jacob tore his clothes, put sackcloth around his waist, and he mourned for his son many days. I imagine in that moment, the kids must have been like, dang, do we tell dad? Like, no, he's going to make us have to pay for it. We can't pay for it. What do we do? Like, what? I, you know, there's a lot going on there. <laughs> and uh, anyways, but he refused to be comforted. He's still struggling. He's dealing with all this. And then we're skipping ahead. Let's go to Genesis 39. So here's how the story continues. Eventually now, like in Genesis 39, let's pull that up. Joseph is in Egypt. He's away from his family, but he's with God. That's the Christmas story. Emmanuel, God with us. So an Egyptian named Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh and a captain of the guards, bought him with the Israelites who had uh, brought him there. So now Joseph's in a new camp there with Potiphar. The Lord was with Joseph and he became a successful man. He served in the household of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and the Lord made everything he did successful, Joseph found favor with his master and became his personal attendant. Potiphar also put him in charge of his household and placed all that he had owned under his authority from the time that he had put him in charge of his household and all that he owned. The Lord blessed the Egyptian's house because of Joseph. The Lord's blessing was on all that he owned in his house and in his fields. He left all that he owned under Joseph's authority. He did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. So Joseph's in charge of everything. Because of his faithfulness. Now Joseph was being was well built and handsome. Now, I can't do the whistle thing, but how's it go? Like, you know, when somebody Yeah, there we go. So Joseph was well built and handsome. There we go. And after some time, his master's wife looks longingly at Joseph. Look, hey, you look long enough at someone's too beautiful. Like, look, the Bible teaches us to run. Right? And we, we know, like, come on, we've been there. We got to run. And we should have ran earlier, you know. And that's what sexual, sexual temptation is. You just stare at something too long and something that's not yours. And you then start to get all these crazy thoughts. And then what's happening? Look, she says, sleep with me. And Joseph, I mean, at this point, he probably is like, okay. You know, like, 
He sold a slave. I mean, you'd think. He's like, dude, I don't know. But look, he refused. Verse 8. Look, he said to his master's wife, with me here, my master does not concern himself with anything in his house. He has put all that he owns under my authority. No one in this house is greater than I am. He has withhold nothing from me except you because you are his wife. So how could I do this immense evil? And how could I sin against Potiphar? Could I sin against my master? Could I sin against my family upbringing? No, sin against the legacy of God. When we really get a glimpse of what God's done, we recognize anytime we're off, we're not hurting just somebody else. We're hurting ourselves, but ultimately, we're hurting the one who gives us life, God. Joseph gets this. So verse 10, although she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her. So now one day, because she, she's probably used to getting everything she wants. Got money, power, prestige, you know. And then she finally grabs him by his garment, verse 12, and she says, sleep with me. It's pretty forward. <laughs> like, dang, slow down, Jordy, you know. <laughs> Sleeves with me. He's like, sleep with me. Like, this is that when you're reading Proverbs, you're like, okay. This is, this is playing out here. But leaving his garment in her hand, he escaped and he ran outside. So he gets it. You see uh, in the New Testament, like, run. Joseph's a great example of this. When she saw that he had left his garment with her and ran outside, she becomes mad. She starts just saying, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to set him up. And she frames him. She says, hey, look, she said to them, my husband brought a Hebrew man to make fools out of us. He came to me so he could sleep with me. And I screamed as loud as I could. When he heard me screaming for help, he left his garment beside me and ran outside. She put Joseph's garment beside her until his master came home. Then she told him the same story. The Hebrew slave had brought you brought to us. Try to make a fool of me. And then verse 19, when his master heard the story, his wife told him, these are the things your slave did to me? He was furious. So he had him thrown into prison where the king's prisoners were confined. So Joseph was there in prison. A lot of times when I've heard Joseph preached, you know what I've heard? Joseph was used by God to preserve God's people through a famine and that Israel had provisions. And so that Joseph was taken all the way to the top and he was so faithful and he helped Pharaoh. And, and I, don't, I don't think anyone meant anything wrong by that. But I think what gets missed if we don't really elaborate, if you see someone's glory, don't assume you know the story. Maybe put it this way, like if you see their gain, you don't know their pain. You don't, I mean, you know, you don't, you don't know my pain. I, I don't want to lead, I lead through my vulnerability, my pain. Christ is helping me and I got community and I got people and we could pain together. That's the beauty of it. But we could share stories forever, right? But when we look a little higher, we see it's possible. Let's look at Joseph. 
Let's talk about some examples that can lead us. Let's talk about some things that can, can transform us. And, and Joseph went through some serious pain and he still did the right thing. And when I go through tough times, I don't like what comes out of me sometimes. Look at verse 21. The Lord was with Joseph and extended kindness to him. He granted him favor. And so even in prison, he gets favor with the authorities and he's responsible for everything under there. And then it goes on and it, he, he starts interpreting dreams even from jail. And finally, he's going to be let out because he can interpret the dreams that Pharaoh has that the, the interpreters can't even interpret. So God is proving that he's God over every other God. And then, so in verse, uh, skipping ahead a couple chapters. You guys still with me? We're going to go a little bit over. Again, we're hitting our quota for like the next three years. <laughs> You're awesome. <laughs> okay, chapter th- uh, 41. Look at verse 50 and 52. So Joseph went through a lot of tough time. And how we see that on display is look at once he gets out, he has two kids. He has a firstborn, Manasseh, and got and said, God, this is what he says after his first kid. God has made me forget all my hardship and my whole family. What does that imply? What's that imply? Minister in trading Ashton, what's that imply? What's it imply? That God has made me forget all my hardship and my whole family. Not yet, no. He's trying to forget. Why is he? No. It implies just if you, so one thing you can do, here's a trick. Just read it the opposite way. I had a lot to forget about because I went through a lot of crap and I couldn't stand my whole family. I need to forget it. So it's implying that actually Joseph the whole time was hurting. The whole time he probably remembered his family. The whole time in jail he's struggling, thinking about all this stuff that had happened wrong to him, but he's still being faithful. He's still breaking that four-minute mile. What in the world? Come on, Joseph. This is awesome because I'm not like this. My story wasn't like this. I want my kids to be like this. To choose holiness at a young age and say God's way is better. You might be already feeling today, well, man, I I got so much mistakes. Don't worry. God's going to meet us with grace at the end of this. I really believe this. We're going to fast forward. I'm going to call the worship team uh, up here if you guys can. And and, and look at the second son, though. Look at this. His name was Ephraim. And it said, God had made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. And so where this place of pain, now God's going to make him fruitful so where we have felt the worst is actually where God's probably going to bring the most glory. I was in a therapy session with a bunch of pastors during when COVID hit. And the dude was, he was a master Jedi. He, he's like, Go, I want you to bring two pictures to class. It was kind of a class therapy. You know, I want you to bring one picture when you felt like you turned to the dark side and you remember that moment. And I want you to bring one picture that, captures innocence of a child and you can remember that moment of what it felt like to be a kid and he was doing some story work and going back to those moments and in in other words he was kind of doing this like where was the hardship and when it began and we're going to go back there because he goes wherever you felt the most shame 
The enemy wants to make that a place where you just want to never deal with it, but God actually wants to use the glory. So wherever you probably felt the biggest weakness is actually where your strength's going to be. So what have you dealt with the most? And then we were just like, word up, you know? And, and, and in that moment, I was sharing, you know, and everyone got really deep because they're like, dang, dude, like, that sounds crazy, you know? And that's not, not, I mean, we all go through stuff. But it was crazy because relative to what they felt like they went through, they, they were sitting there like, whoa, dude, that's nuts. And, and we're not ranking testimonies, but I, I've always thought I have this friend in my life that, that if I, I remember in my life, I would kind of complain for not having shoes, figuratively. But I, I met a friend that didn't have feet, figuratively. Because the person always complains about no shoes until they meet the person with no feet. And so my friend, I'm just going to call him uh, just, just K. K. K is no longer here anymore. But I met K in high school and K moved from uh, NYC. K had a troubled life. Mistake after mistake after mistake after mistake after mistake after mistake. Uh, K went through drug rehab, um, was on his way to be a preacher and called a couple years ago and was like, hey, just got out of, back out of jail, just kind of struggling with addiction and so much stuff and, and, and said, hey, I, 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 I don't have a phone right now, but I'll hit you back. And I always dreamed the day that he would be here, front row. He was in our wedding and, and that was the last time I ever heard his voice. And it was crazy because when I went to go to do his funeral, I meant to share this at the 10 a.m., but I just forgot. I remember going out there, and it was, all, it was basically only people that I had used with him. Probably 20 people. And I'd never given a ser- sermon where the soil was so hard. It was at just a little, it was in a trailer park at a, a community, community hall. And we went there like we just raw talked about it and I'm telling you there were I think when I gave an altar call to accept Jesus one dude laughed and I remember just looking at him and I was like you knew Kay in the trap but I knew Kay that loved Jesus and I said hey and I know you love him that's fine I said but he would want you to know about Jesus and see he made mistake after mistake after mistake and, but for me, he was the person with no feet. Because I learned about his upbringing at New York and how he lost his mom and several of his siblings uh, had lost from overdose or different things. And, and his dad had dealt with so much different things. And uh, I mean, he just had a really tough go. And they finally lived with us and we got in trouble together. But I mean, he got made fun of, bullied. He had broken teeth. I mean, just all the time, trouble was always finding him. But he loved Jesus. But he was a dad. And he was never there for his kids' lives. But I knew he loved his kids. But shout out to the mom. She raised him. She held it down. And she kept space from him because honestly, he wasn't healthy. To, 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 but, I, but I knew him. And I felt like I got to tell his kids at least some way, some shape or form. And I'm going to share that in just a moment because you might say, well, I made a bunch of mistakes and I think you'll realize, hopefully, even if we're not like Joseph, if we say yes to Jesus, God can take that remnant and he can carry it on way past our lifetime. 
See, Joseph, it goes to continue, and I'm just going to paraphrase the story. Joseph gets out of jail, has those kids. He starts serving with Pharaoh. He interprets the dreams. He's used to interpret the dream to ration food during a time of famine. Were you concerned about food? Like there was food insecurity when COVID hit, right? I mean, if there was toilet paper insecurity, there was for sure food insecurity. I mean, everyone was rationing whatever. We didn't know if it was the apocalypse. I mean, for real, right? I don't know if you remember shopping at Meyer. I remember shopping at Meyer like, like, like stuff's about to go down. I was on the South Side pen. People were like looking at you some type of way. I was like, bro, whoa, chill. Not like you can have the can of green beans. It ain't this deep. I don't know. I don't know. Like, we might have to fast. We ain't going out like this. This is crazy. Chill out. Everybody chill out. I remember saying that. I got in the car. I said, babe, it's a high alert. I don't know what's happening. Something's happening because the hearts of men are growing cold. They're looking like the brothers. Don't think it got healed any quicker. No, now we're just going about our own ways and our own echo chambers, and we need love back. We need unity back. We need peace back. We need hope back. We need to let somebody else go first in the line. Pay for somebody else. Mask, no mask, whatever. Like, we got to get back in this thing together. You know? There's one race, y'all. It's the human race. We are different races. We see color. We celebrate. We empower. We don't separate. We don't segregate. But we have to remember, we're 99% the same. We're one. Like, that is just real fact. But we've never been taught that. So we're tribalists. We go about our own way, etc. Well, if there was anyone who could justify their position, it eventually would be Joseph. Because guess who shows up on the doorstep asking for some food? His bros. And they don't know it's Joseph. He's in all of his royalty. You know, he's kind of like top in charge. And he sees his brothers. And you know what he does? It says it in the scriptures a couple of times. He goes and he just weeps. He cries so bad and he comes back and he kind of tests them. He sends them off. He, uh, he puts, he puts, he basically like frames them <laughs> and just to, I think, test their heart to some degree. They come back. They, they, they eventually get there and Joseph's asking about the father. He wants to hear about the family and Joseph weeps when he sees Benjamin. And finally, he tells the brothers it's me, Joseph. What do you think the brothers think is going to happen? Oh, we're getting beheaded. Like, you imagine that moment? Like, you know, if you're, if you're caught doing something, you're like, like, that is the ultimate moment. They're caught. They're so caught. They can't. Yeah, but, 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 uh, Joseph, see, we, what we were really trying to do was make sure you could live out your dream. See? right we want to make sure you can live out your dream right you know and each other and Joseph tells him this do not be afraid it is I Joseph and he goes what you meant to hurt me God meant for good what that means is all those moments in your life that's tried to take you out that's where that comes from it was meant to hurt you but God wants to use it for good the path you have is one that no one else will travel on I don't know your family origin I don't know if your parents were there I don't, I don't know if it's one filled with 
great examples and role models. And I don't know what happens in the holidays for you and if that's hard and heavy or if that's super life-giving and celebratory. But, but, I, but I know that you probably want to leave a legacy beyond your lifetime. Look to Joseph. Choose holiness today. Start to say, I'm sorry. Start to, because you know who didn't judge us? You know who said, don't be afraid, who could have judged us? Jesus. And we bow before him and he gives us grace. It's so powerful. And he forgave us. And he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they're doing. And if you're in this place, you say, well, I, I, so-and-so's gone. I don't even know how God's going to echo back. He will. I, he has a way of using even like the pain of previous generations, somehow he can use it if we're listening. And I want our ears to hear what the Spirit is saying. I believe this. That Joseph's story is one of faithfulness. But we get to trust in Jesus who is faithful to us. Therefore, we can be faithful and he'll even take our mistakes and he'll use them in a powerful way. Insert when Jerome, our oldest, is asking for a Bible. He asks for a Bible. He goes, Dad, can I have one of your Bibles? I said, yeah, yeah, it's time. You're old enough. Go have one of my Bibles. I mean, he can have it. He could have one of my Bibles, but I want him to keep it. You know, I want him to cherish it. It's his. And he goes downstairs and I got several down there and I don't have like an unlimited collection by any stretch of the imagination. So I don't want you to get some crazy picture here. People ask sometimes, what's your family devotional look like? We might just say, Jesus, amen. Be quiet, right? Like, sometimes it's elaborate. Other times it's just, we got to get through it. Here's the point. He brings a Bible, he takes it upstairs, and he hands it to me, and I started to cry. Because you know whose Bible it was? Case. You know what it said in it? It said all the things he wanted for his sons and all the things he wanted for his family that never got to happen. Everything he wished that would have been. The legacy he wished he would have left. And I thought, oh, I got to get this to his son. And the last thing his oldest son wanted to hear about was his dad. Because his dad had been absent. His dad hadn't been there. You know? Like, how could somebody deal with drugs so bad that they couldn't be there for their seed? He had to feel that. And I looked and I said, hey, I reached out. I said, hey, can we just get together? Maybe we can have uh, just time. And I'd love to share something. And I want to give you something that your dad left behind that I believe is for you. And we, we got together at Sparty's Coney Island in Frandor. And I got to share with him and I said, look, I know your dad was never there. And I, I don't know how to undo all that, but I know this, he left you more than an inheritance. And it, you can't cash it in the bank account. You can't buy a house with it. He can't teach you how to throw a ball, but he left you the Bible. And here's his Bible and I want you to have it. And it was like, you know, that was the greatest thing a dad could leave even with dad was never there. The point is, even if you missed on every single thing, if you accept Jesus, you're at least showing him a higher way. <laughs> but if you're not, I'm telling you, that's a weak man. The weakest man is somebody who is in their own pride and their own sin that can't admit their own mistakes and can't say the three special words, I am sorry. And first, I'm sorry to who? I have sinned against you, God. I'm sorry, God. You know? That's why the highest conviction is God. We want to be like God. He's loving us to be like Him. 
to be like him, to be with him. That's the Christmas message. Not like the manger out front, you know, that's cool. Is it? But it's, it's not cool. It's not. It's not cool. It's cool if it's cool to you. It's not cool to me, so I didn't finish my sentence. But it's cool if it's cool to you, right? We celebrate. We don't separate. Joseph forgave his brothers and he let them in. And I don't know what the talks were like from that, but Joseph went on to bury his father and Joseph had commands of how it would bury to him. And now here we are thousands of years later talking about Joseph. That's the legacy he left. By the power of the Holy Spirit, I pray today. I don't know where your shame is. I don't know where your regret is. I don't know where your hurt and your worry is. But I pray that you would understand the story of Joseph is faithful. And I believe God's speaking this over you. Faithful. See, when Peter had just made the biggest mistake of his life, he denied Jesus three times. God shows up, Jesus, and he calls him a rock. He says, faithful. He says, faithful. He's like, no, man, I know. Because I'm doing it through you. Faithful. I'm the one that's doing it through you. So you might think, no, somebody else. No, God's choosing you to write a new story. God's choosing you to move the ball down the field further. God's choosing you. You know, God's choosing you. You're the remnant. You're the one. It's possible. Look at Joseph. So I pray today stuff falls off and that we remember Jesus is the only one Holiness is underrated. Jesus is the only one that'll fill us up. Let's sing. Thanks for listening to the City Life Lansing podcast. Loving you and loving the city one life at a time. To get connected, learn more, and invest financially, go to citylifelansing.com.